Welcome to another episode of Visitings, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. My name is Alan Nakagawa, and I'll be your host. Emiko Atherton is the director of the National Complete Streets Coalition. Their work can be viewed at smartgrowthamerica.org. Across the world is a need to eliminate pedestrian fatalities and improve the livability of neighborhoods. Emiko was recently in Los Angeles for a conference and was kind enough to come on Visitings to talk about the intersection between complete streets, culture, and art. All right, welcome. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. So as I mentioned, if you wouldn't mind stating your name and your title, we'll start from there. So my name is Emiko Atherton, and I am the director of the National Complete Streets Coalition. And thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, let's see. I guess we better start with uh, explaining what Complete Streets are. I think probably a lot of our listeners might not be aware of it. Yeah. Let's start there. That's a perfect place to start. So I think... I have uh, two definitions for complete streets. Uh, The first one of which is um, complete streets is really an approach to transportation planning, Uh, equal kind of equal access to to get around. And what I really think of complete streets are how do you create transportation networks that really um, become avenues of opportunity, regardless of who you are, how you travel. Uh, the way most people understand complete streets and the other way to talk about it is complete streets are actually um, a street that's designed for multiple users, not just an uh, automobile. So you might see a street in your community that has a bike lane, it has sidewalks, it has good crosswalks with safe crossings across. Um, you're going to see uh, it's going to be handicap accessible, so it's going to be compliant with ADA. It's also going to serve cars. It probably serves transit as well. So that's that's mostly the way people understand complete streets is a street is really complete when it serves all users. Right. Comprehensive. It's a comprehensive street. <laughs> we need more of that in Los Angeles here. <laughs> yes, you do. But I know you're aware of that. Yeah. Well, um, and you're based in D.C. I am based in Washington, D.C., wow. although I get to spend most of my time uh, in other cities like Los Angeles. Right. Or Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. Or Nashville. Or Nashville. Or Chicago. or uh, Where did I go? I was in North Carolina earlier this week. Ah. How, um, what percentage of your time are you traveling? Probably 90. Meaning that this this issue is nationwide it's totally nationwide oh, yeah. um so complete street so it, it came about actually as a uh, a movement more than more than like a project level idea back in uh 2004 2005 when a group of uh organizations like the aarp uh the american public transit association the american heart association the realtors kind of got started to talk about how um, how you could start to, at the federal level, plan plan streets for all users of all abilities. And what happened is um, communities across the country really got excited about this and started adopting complete streets policies. And so to date, there's 1,300 complete streets policies 
um, that have been adopted at the city, regional, and state level um, that are calling for their the streets in their communities to be designed for all users. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. And when, how long have you been with Complete Streets? Um, two years almost to the date. I think I'm, I just had my two-year anniversary. Oh. Yeah. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. So you must have, God, you must have seen a lot of growth in that two years. Yeah, we've seen a ton of, yeah. so so when I, I came on board, the movement was already really strong, and there were probably about 1,100 policies. But what, what we decided to do at the time is uh, the coalition had never had a strategic plan. So we spent about a year in talking to stakeholders, doing interviews, and figuring out what we wanted to do next. And the the board and myself uh, moved and adopted a strategic plan that emphasizes implementation. So not just having a policy, um, because you can have a lot of good policies that, that sit on a shelf, and turning that into practice. And then we d we also, one of the things that we do at the Complete Streets Coalition is we look at kind of who the most vulnerable users are to the road system. Uh, we publish a report called Dangerous by Design where we look at us, kind of the places that are most dangerous to walk in the United States, uh, creating what we call the Pedestrian Danger Index, which looks at relative risk. And we have found year after year, um, that older adults and people of color are most disproportionately impacted by pedestrian fatalities. So we're we're starting to integrate equity or kind of vulnerable users um, into everything that we do. And why is that in terms of older and um, people of color? Well, I think um, for people of color, I think it's often linked to, you know, in, in the United States, we have a history of segregating people by race physically, um, whether that's on a bus or whether that's by neighborhoods. And, you know, from Los Angeles to my hometown of Seattle, the places like Washington, D.C., we had, you know, redlining where we, you know, systematically denied neighborhoods uh, to Asians, to to much of the country, it was to African-Americans. And so what happened as a result of that is is really good infrastructure went into wealthier white neighborhoods or middle-class white neighborhoods where we disinvested in communities of color so they don't have as many sidewalks. They have, um, at the same time, they often have um, the worst bike infrastructure. And then you have, because race and income are so highly correlated in the United States, that um, people of color are more likely to not own a car and be transit dependent or walk or bike places. And so they're walking and biking more in places where they have kind of the the shittiest infrastructure. Um, I think older older adults also has to do with the fact that so you know many many older adults uh, lose the ability like they they no longer have the ability to drive, um, but our infrastructure doesn't really support. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. Again, it doesn't support pedestrians. Um, and if you think about something like a a crosswalk, and we've all been in like crosswalks where you hit it and you kind of have to run to to get across. But mm -hmm. if you're not physically able to run, um, you know, you might actually get struck and killed within that car crosswalk. I was. Uh, I saw that happen um, in Tennessee recently. I didn't see the accident, but that that was something that just happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and it's it's compounded even more um, when we looked at the data in older adults of color, um, who are the absolute the most likely to be struck and killed while walking. Right.
so that was a great introduction to Complete Streets. So what I was hoping that you would talk about, since you've been everywhere, <laughs> if you could, if we could talk about a couple of art projects yeah. that you've seen that you especially you know would like to talk about in context to Complete Streets. Yeah, when yeah. I, when I think about um, kind of the 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 intersection between Complete Streets and art. Um, I think about a lot of the work that we do with our creative placemaking program at Smart Growth America. Um, it is probably the program that Complete Streets works most closely with at Smart Growth America because we've looked at really creative placemaking and using artists to work with communities as one of the best ways to actually get Complete Streets projects to happen. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, when you're doing transportation, you've got kind of often... A, a typical transportation project will be done by by a government with little community engagement, kind of the bare minimum that you have to legally do. Um, at the same time, we're also having issues of when we are getting better transportation projects like bike lanes, um, uh, this kind of new, new infrastructure brings fears of gentrification or displacement. I'm sure you've probably heard like now bike lanes are like, the canary in the coal mine for gentrification for a lot of communities. And so one of the things we, we've started to work at through, um, through Smart Growth America and through Transportation for America is how do you use creative placemaking to actually get the community involved in um, articulating what they would like a transportation project to be. Um, and so, you know, what I'm, and I can, because I didn't, you know, so what what I've seen um, and what I'm kind of most impressed with, and I'm biased because this is work that that we have funded, uh, is through our creative placemaking program, uh, we we fund um, what are called C three grants, or they're they're fifty thousand dollar grants to help communities uh, do creative placemaking around a transportation project. And uh, two of my favorites. Uh, are kind of what I wanted to talk about and, and ways that the artists have worked with communities to really get a community excited about uh, and ex kind of expressing what they want out of a transportation project or a complete streets. Um, one that I feel, you know, I think has just been phenomenal uh, is down in San Diego. So not too far from here. Uh, we funded work uh, through the City Heights Community Development Corporation. So they're like a community-based group uh, in San Diego, and they chose to work in a community. Um, so San Diego is an extremely dangerous place to bike and walk. Mm. Um, you know, its streets are very similar to L.A. They're like very high-speed uh, you know, high speed traffic, um, not a lot of crosswalks, what we call a lot of like suburban infrastructure or land use. Mm. Um, so it's not that walkable. And, and one of the, one of the areas, there's a, there's a community there, um, that had, that experiences some of the highest, um, pedestrian fatalities and injuries as well. And, um, it's also a predominantly Somalian, uh, Hispanic neighborhood. And we were at one community meeting where we asked them, you know, how many people, how, how many of you in this room know someone that's been hit by a car? And everyone in the community raised their hand. And, the, and yeah, and wow. it, in full disclosure, I don't think that, and this is my opinion, I'm just saying this is not the official opinion of Smart Growth America. <laughs> but, you know, this is, San Diego is a more conservative city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, you know, this is a, a lower income community, predominantly community of color, and, you know, and people are getting hit and dying there, and it's probably not a top priority for San Diego um, policymakers or elected officials, mm-hmm. um, which is probably another reason that you see more people of color uh, being struck and killed because they're living in poor communities where they have less voting power. Um, so what this group decided to do is actually work with the Somali community to create some traffic, what we call like traffic calming. Um, so they wanted, they needed to do some traffic calming around a particular street, but instead of just doing, you know, what, what I as a, like a more engineer planner would do is, you know, some, you know, you, you narrow the roadway, you plant some trees and, uh, you might stripe a bike lane in there. They actually worked that they had artists work with the community to figure out what they would like that to look like. Um, and they did a lot of public meetings and really helped them, you know, using this idea of creative placemaking, starting to articulate what what would a better community look like for uh, and safer community look like for you. And um, and so they came up with this idea, this idea of actually building a park plaza uh, and within the, like a little parklet off the side of the road to help narrow the roadway, mm-hmm. which lowers speeds and increases safety. But they also wanted to not just make this like a you know a regular old green space, but they wanted to make it cultural a gathering space. So what they what they've done temporarily and they're looking for permanent funding is they they worked um, and the community created um, they installed tables and they're they're now temp- with chairs and on the tables are um, these board games that they play in gathering spaces in Somali, mm. and so now it's become this point where people in the community come out and actually sit, um, and um, and enjoy the space and at the same time it's had the you know the impact or the added benefit of actually you know by having people out there in this park up next to the street people are slowing down ah. and and to, and it's um and it's amazing so i went on the site visit of it back in uh june and um as we were walking to the site visit, we all get together and someone from the mayor's office is there and we're all about to start the walk down to the park plaza and all of a sudden we hear this like, and we turn around and a driver had hit a kid on a uh, skateboard in the crosswalk. Oh my God. And he flipped over and I think, I mean, my heart dropped him to my stomach and I can only feel okay sharing the story because amazingly, this kid walked away unharmed. Wow. Um, but I think it was a really wake up, big wake up call for uh, the, someone from the mayor's office that was there that here, you know, this is not something that, you know, I think for them to actually see, this is somewhere where someone is hit almost every day. Wow. Um, and this kid was in the right. He was, you know, he was a driver that that wasn't looking. But then we did walk down to the space. And what was amazing is, is people were out there and they were using it. Um, and they were really proud because they had worked with, you know, with artists to really make this something that they um, that they wanted. And mm. I think, you know, to me, the power of kind of arts in 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 what I do is that um it is a way to articulate, like through creative placemaking, to really articulate um, community. And I think art has um, a really, really powerful way of of having a, 
of having communities be able to express what they, you know, what they want. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, again, I don't think anybody thought what came out of that project was what, you know, to, to me, that might not be conventional art, the end result of it, mm -hmm. which was like a game in the middle of a park. But to them, that is their culture. I think, um, Another one that's been really interesting and, and is still going on is in Nashville. So Nashville is experiencing um, phenomenal growth. Um, I, I can't remember, but you know, people are moving there every day um, and the city is exploding. And with that, I think, um, you know, congestion uh, is worsening. I think um, they are dealing with, you know, how do they want to build? So what do they want to do with their streets? Um, do they want to create streets that are what we call through places or two places? So we're creating streets where we're moving cars throughout the city. Are we creating streets where people are actually going to them? Uh, and there is a community around a uh, what what they call there is like what I would call a really big street or arterial. They call Pike, and it's called Nolansville Pike. And it's in a. Do you know about this project? You're shaking your head. Nope. Um, and it's in a predominantly Hispanic community um, in um, in Nashville. And so through the same through our creative placemaking program, uh, we've been funding work uh, to work with a group called Connexion America. Uh, to really use, again, creative placemaking to have the community um, who has a lot of fear about displacement and gentrification uh, start to articulate, again, what they want Nolansville Pike to be. And they're actually calling it Envision Nolansville. Um, so, again, it's this idea of using creative placemaking or using arts and culture um, to to start to visualize what they want their community to look like. So, you know, isn't the city going in and telling them um, it isn't, you know, it, it's it's organically coming from the people who live there now uh, so that I think they feel, feel a sense of ownership as the city kind of rapidly changes and grows. Uh, I think what's, what's interesting about both these projects and, you know, I, I don't, I'm sure you think about this a lot, Alan, is, is the idea of the difference between art and culture. Um, and I think it comes up a lot in um, particularly transportation. And uh, my colleague, Ben Stone, who arts, runs our arts and culture program at uh, Transportation for America, we talk a lot about how I think we have different definitions of art and culture. Um, What's your definition? I think for me, um, I think we agree on art. I think it's the culture. Um, I think for a lot of the communities uh, that are fearing, uh, you know, gentrification or being involuntarily displaced um, and the community groups that are working with them, culture is their culture. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think with, we have this idea of kind of what when I, you know, why I also think of culture, I think of, you know, so, so you have a. A community's culture, and then we have what our kind of our more traditional institutionalized idea of culture or art. So a museum versus, um, yeah, I think of a museum versus like a you know again a game in the middle of a park. Um, and I think this is, this is this is 
to me started to be a, a really interesting place is um, as 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 these projects go forward, um, you know what what is the role of an artist in all of this? Should this artist come from the outside? Should this artist be someone that's already within the community? Um, I don't have a really good answer, but I think you know as there's there's been a lot more work done around art and art and transportation and not just public art. So I don't say just kind of passive art or what we've known as, as more active art within transportation. Um, you know, what does that look like? Because I know there's fears in some communities that if you bring in an artist and lead the process, it's, it's, it's then no longer driven by the community. Mm-hmm. And yet I think at the same time, artists are in a really unique space to kind of bring out um, and help communities articulate um, a vision uh, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have a really good answer, but I, I know this is something I think about a lot. Um, is is what is the role of an artist in a, in a, in a in community making? And is it for them to be facilitators? Is it them for is it for them to be doers? Do they need to come from within the community? Is it okay for them to come from the outside? It's confusing though. So I told you I I spend most of my time traveling, and you know I you know, can go from one day to say being at like, you know, I was at the women's march the day after the inauguration. And then like, you know, two days later I get on a plane and I'm, you know, in the middle of, I don't actually remember where I am. So this is, this is not a true story, but hypothetically, or I'm not hypothetically, but I then got on a, I know I probably got on a plane, you know, a day or two later and went somewhere that most likely was nothing like that. Like I told you last week, I, you know, we talked earlier about how I spent last week in Alabama, in Trump's America. And and then I fly home to D.C., which is oddly probably the the most liberal and most conservative place in the country at the same time. Mm. You know, it's occupied uh, nine to five by the most extreme form of the right and conservatives and that yet the people who live there uh every day or you know vote 95 percent with the democratic party and, right 95 um, percent yeah i think yeah. we went 95 percent for hillary clinton in, wow. in the district of columbia yeah. yeah i do i i do hope that you know i mean we need and so we need artists i think you know in all of our processes now more than ever to listen and help Right. And have worked through these strange times. Oh, it was the Nashville. Oh, the Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was the Nashville and the San Diego. Um, we're, we're probably, I mean, they're the two that I'm most familiar with. Um, you know, at a from a from a work perspective, again, you know, even this idea of creative placemaking is new to me in transportation because public art has always been more passive. Right. Um, I think it's exciting. I think I have a lot of questions about what it is. There was another phenomenon. This is not a um, an art project in any means, but it, to me, this this 
also was at the same time. There's a group in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis called uh, Asian Media Access. And they um, they do a lot of advocacy with uh, the Hmong and Somali communities there. Um, and they, I met the executive director through my work on Complete Streets, and she was talking about the work that they've done to really engage the community um, on transportation projects and what they want, particularly when many of the people are uh, non-native English speakers. And what they found is they've used a lot of... Um, so that they did things like they instead of you know you go to a typical public meeting and you're like okay what do you um what do you you know what do you want your community to look like and people write down on you know they might write write something on a piece of paper put a dot next to you know some idea that they like more than others you know people can like dot source and you know but what are you going to do in a community where they're where you not only have non-native English speakers, but you have many different types of languages. And so they used, she was talking about this one project where they used, they got a bunch of old magazines and they collaged things out. Oh. Or they collaged out emotions. Or they started going out and using chalk in the streets to beautify their streets. And these were all these non-verbal ways of engaging the community. And to me, some of the result of that was art. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone ever called it that. I'm really excited about, I guess, when I think about Complete Streets and and where the movement needs to grow and where we need to go, both grow and grow, it's around this idea of implementation and actually getting, like you were just talking about, like, it's a process. You know, we do the, you know, we do this shift with the the DOTs and how they think, but you do want want to wind up with a product. I mean, that's what we, we don't, we don't go and, you know have therapy sessions with DOT so they can go home and feel good about themselves. We do because that's why we have real therapy. And thank God for that. Thank God for real therapy. But, um, right? Absolutely. What would I do without real therapy? But, um, but it's so you get better products. Right. And, you know, I think one of, one of the things that I'm really excited about and that I'm very fortunate is I get to help steer kind of the direction of Complete Streets nationally is moving towards this idea of working with artists and doing it to work, to work with communities on creating better projects um, for, for communities, like for themselves. Um, I don't totally know what that looks like because this is new to us. Um, but I think it has a lot of potential. These projects that we've, you know, started to see, like in San Diego and Nashville, um, and even the story I was talking about in St. Paul. I think, you know, the kind of the the power for um, art or artists to to create products, um, you know, whether that's you know a parklet or whether that's you know a plan or a visual about how a community. Uh, wants to look is is a huge part of getting complete streets implemented that we can we can do all the dot touchy-feely that we want but we also need to get the community engaged and i think that kind of this creative place making and the role of art and artists in this is probably one of the best tools we have to do that um, so hopefully there'll be a lot more stories in the future nice thank you for being on our show Nicole. thank you for it. having me all right
That concludes another episode of Visitings. Thank you to Emiko Atherton for being on the show. Thanks, as always, to Echo Park Film Center, Machine Projects, and Dub Lab for letting me share this. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings. Mm-hmm.